Shoot alligator water. Lead poison water. <laughs> Gator water. <laughs> no, you know, you know, Alabama water. Bath salts water. You just see me running around all messed up. <laughs> Fucking chewing people's faces off and shit. All naked and shit. All what the fuck? <laughs> You know what I have on the top of my fucking notes? What? Haley finished, because <laughs> we're tracking her progress. Haley finished A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah. Read the fucking, like, the ending acknowledgement things. No. Okay, well, neither fucking did I. And she was like, oh, did you see that thing that it said she, like, thanked Henry Cavill? And I was like, what? No. And she, like, pulled it up on her phone, which I feel terrible. Her phone's all busted and shit, and that's what she's reading it on. What was he like? Her inspiration? Yeah, yeah, yes. Sorry, go back. She was like, "Yeah, how did you not see that?" Because she knows I'm like my obsession is Henry Cavill, and that's because I told her that one of the characters reminded me of Henry Cavill, but I wasn't gonna tell her which one. And she's like, like, "It's mm. Tamlin." Yeah, she's like, "It's Tamlin." And then in the acknowledgement, Sarah J. Mass puts like big thanks to Henry Cavill and Sam Hugan, and Sam Hugan is. The guy in fucking Outlander that I've been watching. <laughs> and I was like, so I Googled it and it, I went on Reddit and people were saying that Sarah Mass used Sam Hugan as Tamlin and Henry Cavill as recent. And I'm like, no, absolutely fucking not. He is but not he stupid. I mean, but Sam Hugan though would make a very good Lucian. Lucian? Yes. Okay. Look up Sam Hugan. I could see that. I would. I could. Okay, hold on. Sam Huger of Outlander doesn't mind if you objectify his fine ass. Dude, he's so fucking hot. In Outlander, he gets naked like all the time. <laughs> God, he's so hot. But yeah. Toast babes. babes. Okay, we should probably like start the podcast and shit now. I got 13 pages of notes, my guy. <laughs> Pissed. Okay. I feel like I did, did not feel like it was that long, but it is long. It is long. And the only reason I felt like it was long was because I was looking down to see how much I had left. And I was like, 23 minutes. Like, what the fuck? Mm. Some shit. Okay. Okay. We're back with our new book. It's a it's surprisingly good it's the smooth it's going smoothly so far yeah I was a little nervous after reading like the first chapter of my sweet Audrina because Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know it's definitely a different story but yeah this one I think flows a little bit better which is interesting what didn't you like about my sweet Audrina. I I don't know. Maybe it just made me uncomfortable because like the first couple of chapters, it's she really just reiterates that she's 
the the girl Audrina that she's not as good as the first Audrina which was the her sister that had died before her who was also named Audrina Mm. and she talks about how she thinks that like she she has to sit on her dad's lap every night before bed ew and she thinks that it's because her she she thinks that her dad is trying to like force the other Audrina's like personality onto her and like trying to pretend that she is like the first Audrina like reincarnated Mm -hmm. it's very interesting and very weird and I I know at some point there's some incest stuff going on but I don't know this one I feel like just like there's there's more of a story whereas the other one was just kind of more of a like it felt like a monologue Mm, okay yeah this I was surprised I didn't I so with flowers in the attic I feel like I've always heard everybody talk about it mm-hmm. I've never watched the movie adaptations or I've never read it before and I had bought this book I actually found my Barnes and Noble receipt in the book I bought <laughs> it in 2018 Holy I shit. never fucking read it so I was kind of I'm glad we're reading it now but I kind of have like a little pretext of like what it is. I don't have all of the details, but you know, you hear things about what it is from other people. So going yeah. into it, I was kind of scared that it was just going to be like, I fuck my brother. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> but reading the story. <laughs> I get why she fucks story. her brother. <laughs> Like now that I know him, I can see he's a great guy. So <laughs> also fell in love with her brother. <laughs> Doesn't fuck her but, brother as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> but the story is going pretty good. Like I didn't expect yeah. it to start from like her as a child to where they are right now. Yeah. So I'm liking it. I like, yeah, I like the progression. And and I think there are a couple of notes that I made about how I was like, I I, I feel like again, hearing from other people like their opinions are like bits and pieces of, you know, flowers in the attic is about this and da, 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 and it's a really fucked up book or, or whatever. You're expecting something. Mm-hmm. And um, did you hear that? No. <laughs> oh, there's like people yelling outside. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like you're expecting some like something fucked up, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it's not what I was expecting, I guess. It, it is right. and it isn't, if that makes sense. Okay, so, so the first chapter well, is hold on. goodbye. Oh, hold on. Before we get started, <laughs> <laughs> I have some information about oh, God. BC Andrews. So, Oh, yes. <clears throat> so we are reading Flowers in the Attic, because you haven't heard, <laughs> by BC Andrews, <laughs> <laughs> who she was actually... She so this book was published in 1979. And she so she wrote this book like this is and and this is like her best-selling novel. She died in 1986. So she wasn't this book wasn't even 10 years old by the time she passed away. I don't know why I thought BC Andrews was a man. Really? Toxic trait, maybe. I assume (laughs) everybody's a man. (laughs) Well, she had um after she passed away they hired a um ghostwriter 
named mm. Andrew Niederman. VC. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> and he wrote, so she only wrote like three family series. And like a couple of standalone works, but he ended up writing under her name, like 25 series under Holy her name, shit. which is weird to me. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that that's how that ended up working out. Um, so <laughs> she hired that her estate hired this motherfucker. Okay. Yeah. It's safe. Um, because they her novels were super successful and the irs argued that her name vc andrew's name um, was a valuable commercial asset so it was included in her gross estate and then i found she so she basically writes basically writes gothic horror which is one of my favorite genres and um of course all of her fucking novels have to do with fucking family like not fucking family but like family and Maybe she um, had like a, a family member she wanted to fuck. Well, here's the thing. She, mm. um, where was it? So I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is on ranker.com, but basically according to the website, the complete VC Andrews flowers in the attic was based on a true story. So <laughs> it says specifically her tale was allegedly influenced by a man Andrews had known in her teen years. One of her relatives said that she was a young lady when it says Virginia was a young lady. Her name was Virginia, Virginia Cleo Andrews. Her, uh, she was a young lady when my dad made arrangements to take her to the university of Virginia. She's from Virginia. Also took her, <laughs> took her to the university of uh, Virginia <laughs> hospital for treatment. While she was there, she developed an attraction to her young doctor. He and his siblings had been locked away in the attic for over six years to preserve the family wealth. <gasps> Spoiler alert. Well, it says, and then it says like, she cut back time in the novel to make it more believable, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. but I'm not going to read the rest of that because I'm sure there's spoilers in there. So supposedly that's based on a true story, but not her true story. Um, she apparently also was like, she lived most of her life in pain. So she was disabled. She reportedly fell down a flight of stairs as a teen. Um, some real, yeah, she had a really hard life. She, uh, uh, suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. She underwent several surgeries and spent much of her adult life in a wheelchair and in the care of her mother. They Ooh. said that, um, her editor said that her spine was fused, like her spine couldn't move. And so Ugh. from her butt bone to her head, her spine could not move. <laughs> she, uh, she always wrote in the voice of a young girl uh, because her life was defined by tragedy. Um, she basically had the emotional mentality of like a teenager because that's where she, that's when she became like crippled. Mm. Um, and then... <laughs> She, uh, so she's writing these books and she's writing as a teenager and it turns out that she ended up, um, she, she didn't want to go see a doctor. She had had a lump on her breast and then she had, turns out she had breast cancer, but she didn't want to go see a doctor because she wanted to finish her, uh, Castile series, whatever the Castile mm -hmm. family is. So she's crippled. She's disabled. She has breast cancer. Um, she, she just 
had a rough life like a rough yeah, poor woman jesus a, a rough life and um there was something oh yeah and she thought she was a psychic so um what the fuck? <laughs> so that's some fun facts about vc andrews yeah so she basically didn't even come into fame until her 50s so that's something for everybody to know if you're in your 50s or getting close and you feel like you've not hit it big pull a vc andrews and write something good you can always restart mm-hmm. at any stage in life or just start yeah cut that <laughs> also fair oh are you well, that's interesting or are you gonna start with the yes okay Okay, so yes, I wrote. So the prologue, um, before we start the chapter, gives a vague description of the book and how they were held prisoners. But instead of calling the story, open the window and stand in the sunshine, which I felt like was a <laughs> particular title, <laughs> um, it would be called Flowers in the Attic. And the unknown narrator is now older and wiser. And they will take the approach of Charles Dickens and use a false name and live in false places in hope that God will guide them, will guide the story to the people who need to hear it. So she she talks a lot about religion in the book, too. I, I don't know if she was very, very religious or she was raised, raised religiously, but um, yeah, she talks about it a lot. And I really liked that first line when she talks about how she thought of them as flowers in the attic and of course that's the title of the goddamn book but i like how she describes why she calls it flowers in the attic i think that was really good about how (laughs) they were so brightly colored and then they just faded duller (laughs) that just made me so so sad sad. Yeah. yeah it just says we were never to color even one of our paper blossoms yellow like that is so sad very sad and that's um well, through at least throughout the chapters that we read, she I noticed some motifs like she references her mother's eyes a lot, like being able to tell what the truth and the emotions are. Mm-hmm. She references the garden a lot because she's like relating them as flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting, like having that same like theme in each yeah. chapter. Like you, you always know when she's being like mm-hmm. sincere because she's like well it didn't like the happiness didn't reach my mother's eyes or like she can just tell she's intuitive that way and I like that and like (laughs) just she's so good at making you feel that I think because she really set the tone in the prologue like I highlighted that she wrote I find every word I put down I put down with tears with bitter blood with sour gall well mixed and blended with shame and guilt (laughs) so yeah dude like obviously that's what you're like she's telling you like this is not going to be a fucking fun book like this is not going to be a fun novel or whatever like this is some shit so get ready so we start out with our first chapter goodbye daddy i feel like yeah you're right after the prologue i was like oh this shit's already like intense like we're already gonna (laughs) jump into it um So the narrator describes that back when she was young in the 50s, she believed the world was like an endless summer day and she wanted for nothing. She states that if they were poor, she had no knowledge of it. They state that if she had luxuries, like she couldn't tell. She was just happy, like a happy child. Yeah. 
she goes on to describe her father as the best person on earth and that he would he worked um i guess out of town yeah he would be gone all week for work and then rush home on fridays to be with his family now (laughs) when you read this when the dad came home and was like give me all the love give me all the did you think he was being fucking needy that's a lot it was a a lot. lot it was a lot and i was trying to put myself in the mindset of like Maybe that's how people were in the 70s of being or 50s, whatever. And in the 50s where they were just like, oh, my children, I love you so much. And I'm over here like, fucking leave me alone. Get the fuck away from me. Even to John. I don't have kids, but like to John, I'm like, (laughs) if I were to come home (laughs) when I leave work, I'm like, fucking not right now. But yeah, I I feel like it was a lot I just feel like now that we know, like the last chapter we read, I can yeah. see why he yeah. was so like into loving his children. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when she was like, "Yeah, he comes <clears throat> home through the door, and he always has presents for us, and he's like, give me, give me my kisses, kisses right now, or you don't yeah. love me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super needy, but uh, but also like I feel like it's to the extent of. You know, that's just how people were. That's how you showed your love to your kids or whatever. Like, I don't know. I yeah, I feel something a little bit later. We'll talk about it. But yeah, I, I'm kind of just like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, when I first read it, I was like, that's some like manipulative shit that he's just like, oh, you don't love me. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So. She goes on to explain that her mother, Corinne, would spend all Friday getting her hair done, taking hour-long perfume baths to smell good. Um, we clearly yeah. can see she's like extra as fuck yeah. in all the things that she does. We learn out that the little, um, that the narrator is the little girl. Her name's Kathy. They all have C names. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that I was like what are they the fucking Kardashians like why do they all have C names with the C Kardashians because it's Kathy Christopher Christopher Jr. I'm a, they don't ever call him Jr. but I'm yeah. assuming that's what it is um Corey Carrie and, and Corinne. Corinne what that's too much <laughs> yeah that is too much what so no, Kathy <laughs> Kathy thought her mother was so beautiful and she always mentions that her beauty and happiness reach her eyes. This is like the first time she's like, oh, my mother's gorgeous. And you can see it all the way up to her eyes. Like it reaches her. Kathy has a two-year-old brother named Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one day during the week while their father was out, they came home from school and noticed that their mother was sitting in their, her fancy room, which they were not allowed in. Fancy. and she told them to take off their winter clothes and come sit next to the fireplace with her. So I thought she was kind of going to be an asshole at this point because she they were like, we're mm. never allowed in there. She told us to take our shoes off and to come in here and da, da, da. And I was like, is she straight? And it seemed like she never like did anything with them because they talked mm-hmm. about how she would wait after they gave her their dad kisses to for her to go see him and da, 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 whatever. And I was like, OK, maybe she's kind of an to asshole. Fuck. Yeah, but 
yeah she's just like all right come in here i think it's interesting because like i assumed she was going to be an asshole based off of what i had heard previously i was about to say that like i think my misconception was i thought this was going to be like a mommy dearest thing Mm -hmm. so i was also waiting for her to turn and be like "Mm." exactly like only nice in front of the father exactly i even made the note of like they're not assholes question mark what's the problem (laughs) (laughs) it's like i don't understand the fuck so yeah so she tells them to go sit next to the fireplace they're a little confused because they're never allowed in there and kathy notices that her mother has a weird look in her eyes uh she sits them down and christopher asks her like what's wrong like he can tell something's wrong she tells him to touch her stomach and see if they can feel anything. And when Christopher touches it, he can feel it move and he's immediately upset. And Kathy at first doesn't understand. And her mother explains like, there's babies in there. It might be mm-hmm. twins. And Kathy like immediately gets jealous and like runs to her room and hides. Like, I feel like this is typical. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Like, oh, Did you do that when they said that they were going to have David? I have repressed memories because I have middle child syndrome. So I have no idea how I reacted. I'm assuming probably, (laughs) but I don't remember. You'd have to ask my parents. See, well, Kathy also was like, I already know what that means for a middle child. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be forgotten. Nobody's going to love me. It's either going to be the oldest or the baby that they care about. What did I write? So see, you relate to Kathy. I wrote, what did I write? (laughs) So begins middle child syndrome. (laughs) Like immediately (laughs) that fucking bit. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) Poor girl. Poor girl. So, girl. So Chris, the father, comes into Kathy's room later. And he says that he was upset that no one was there to greet him at the door and to give him kisses. And it made him feel bad. Yeah, like, was it at this point? I'm like, is he trying to fucking guilt trip her? Is he trying to? I put, why is he gaslighting her so much? What, like, what is, oh, you don't love me because you weren't there? Mm -hmm. Not because you're upset and don't understand the situation, but because you don't love me. Exactly. What the fuck? That's not okay. (laughs) So, She's upset at the thought that she would be the middle child. And if there's another girl, she wouldn't be daddy's little girl anymore and essentially getting replaced. Um, She turned and glared at her father and he makes a mention that this is the first time in her life that he's, that she's ever looked at him like that. He reassures her that she will always be his special little girl because she was his first. And that if him and her mother have a dozen children, he will love them all equally. He sits on the end of her bed and gives her the weekly present that he had bought in her. Could you imagine fucking getting like you're getting weekly fucking presents? And the fact that he's like, I used to think that you guys only loved me because I brought you weekly Mm -hmm. presents. But I, you know, I guess I wasn't that good of a father. It's just like. Oh, gaslighting. Yeah, 100%. I'd be so pissed. And on top of that, you're getting weekly presents like. I just wouldn't that make more sense that she's not only caring about the presence because she wasn't there to greet you because she was upset. I think he's trying to like, I think this is his dad way of trying to like make light of it. And yeah. Be like, oh, 
oh, you made me so upset when you weren't there. And but you're also like, gaslighting her. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's the fifties, bro. They didn't know what gaslighting meant. <sighs> they knew what it meant. They just didn't call it gaslighting. They knew what they were doing. It's Catholic guilt. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> You're gonna feel that too. Oh shit! Forever. The priest. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. So, I'm not a little boy. <laughs> You're not an altar boy. You're an altar lady. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> they don't get touched the same way. I hate that. <laughs> Pissed. <laughs> so. The present that he buys her is a jewelry box that plays music and inside of it has a gold garnet ring. And he tells her that when he saw it, he knew she had to have it and that the ring is a vow that he will always love her a little more than any other daughter he has. But don't tell anybody that but yourself. (laughs) So fucked. So (laughs) they end up having twins, fraternal twins. And they name them Carrie and Corey. Kathy says that their surname is a weird one because it was hard to spell, like hard to learn how to spell, which I feel like is also such a kid thing. Like my last name sucks because it's hard to spell. (laughs) So their last name is Dollenganger. Jim, Jim Johnson, Johnston, their, uh, the father's best friend calls them the Dredston dolls. Because the whole family looks the same. Did you? Did you are the Dresden? Is that like a reference to something? I'm sure it is. I refuse to look it up because you know how I feel about dolls. Oh yeah. Okay, hold on. Oh, what the fuck? <gasps> Don't show me. I'm terrified. If you put it in the uh, chat, I will be so fucking mad at you. <laughs> the Dresden Dolls are an American musical duo from Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Oh, okay. They're not real dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Take it off. I'm so scared right now. I'm so fucking scared right now. (laughs) (gasps) Ashley, take it off. Hold on. Don't look. Okay, so the Dresden dolls. I cannot fucking function right now. That was terrifying. Uh, they're Dresden. Uh, I did not consent to that. <laughs> um. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? What are those dolls that um Linda Belcher buys in Bob's Burgers? <laughs> Little babies. What are they called? Are they fucking? If you're not not real, (laughs) then how do I feel this way? Little babies. Little babies. (laughs) I'm glad we all sang the same song. (laughs) Oh, they're called um, Grazielda. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like they're those. Little porcelain dolls is what they are. Fuck that shit. Fuck that (laughs) fucking shit. Fucking Jim Johnston. (laughs) I'll smash it on the fucking ground in front of you. I spent my hard earned. I only work part time. I spend my hard earned money. (laughs) I'm a student. (laughs) I'm a mother. (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) a little later, 
down the road. The twins are already four years old and it is their father's 36th birthday, which their mother has planned a surprise party for him. (laughs) Corinne tells. (laughs) So he had Christopher when he was 22. Could you imagine having a kid that young when you were when you're 22? I'm going to fuck my family when I'm 22. Everything will be all right when I'm inside of you. Damn. Single. the police. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't consent to that. (laughs) Ear rape. Payback, bitch. Payback. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't imagine having a fucking Wait, yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I couldn't either. I fucking can't even and this motherfucker supported his wife and his family at 22 like mm-hmm. I can't even support myself at 28 who the fuck god forbid I can my mom had me at 21 people. that's insane yeah bro well I guess back then minimum wage was also 725 <laughs> but the, yeah, but the yeah, fucking, that shit hasn't changed the dollar it was worth more. So I guess it was a little easier. I still can't imagine. Yes. Okay. So Corinne tells Kathy that she needs to get the twins rebathed and dressed for the party. Kathy agrees to do it because she sees how beautiful her mother is dressed for the party and doesn't want her to ruin her dress. Christopher gets ready and rebathes the twins and then hands them to him so she can get ready herself. She gets dressed, and when she comes down, Christopher says, "Hey, you don't look half bad." Kathy well, that was kind of asks weird. him if that's yeah. Me too. I okay. I have made every like every reference, like weird reference. I always put it in my notes, and I think I don't. I think it's just from our preconception that there's like some sort of incest involved 100%. with these books. I just, I think that's what kind of sucks about like knowing but also at the same time it it makes it a little bit more interesting he says hey you don't look half bad and kathy asks him is that the best you could manage to say and he says yeah best i can for a sister okay you little freak bitch calm down (laughs) (laughs) so five o'clock comes and goes and their father still wasn't there which she says normally he's like rushing. He was there before five o'clock to get back to his family. I feel like as so, soon as every single, sorry. <laughs> as soon no, as every ahead. single book fucking writes such and such time came and went like, mm-hmm. bitch, mm-hmm. we're not stupid. No, something but bad I guess was about to happen. This mm-hmm. was also written in the 70s. So maybe she invented that device. So they continue waiting for their father. And all of the guests are getting kind of restless and the food is getting cold. Kathy sees a car pulling in the driveway two hours later. And she's like, oh, it's probably daddy. But when she looks at it, she can see it's a police car with sirens on it. Her mother freaks the fuck out. And when she opens the door, the cops tell her that her husband has been in a terrible accident. A drunk driver was going to hit Chris head on. Chris tried to swerve out of the way, but a piece of machinery had fallen out of another car and kept him from fully getting out of the way. So his car turned over multiple times and then caught on fire. 
have something to say about this. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so fucking, I just like how he says, your husband's much heavier car turned over several times and he might have survived, but then an oncoming truck came and it wasn't able to stop. It crashed into his car and then the Cadillac spun again and then it caught on fire. And it's like, what kind of mm-hmm. fucking police officer is like, well, he could have survived, but this happened. And then he could have survived that, but then this happened. And it's just like, also, <laughs> is that not the most dramatic way for a car crash to happen? Like a hundred percent. Like, oh, he almost lived, but then this happened. And then he might have lived, but then he caught on fire. Also, <laughs> what what the fuck officer <laughs> would share all of those details when he sees a whole room of like random ass people? Yeah. Like what that's a lot think- of personal information, sir. Why the fuck are you saying that out loud? That's what I was thinking. I was like, why is he coming in here and then immediately being like, ma'am, there's been an accident. Your husband's died and this is what happened. Like he didn't even pull her outside to be like, ma'am, are you the wife of such and such? There's been an accident. Unfortunately, has not survived. We need somebody to identify the body. We'll tell you what happens on the way. Not fucking let me tell fucking Jim, Joe and Joseph everything about what the fuck happened to your husband. So that way they can come and gossip and and pretend to console you or like. Also, all of his rambling confused the fuck out of her. And she was like, so is he dead? Like, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dead. It's like, yeah, well, that's some fucking final ass destination shit that happened to him. I would assume he's dead. No shit, dude. And then and then he goes, well, he was killed instantly. And it's just like, oh, good. God, Jesus. Like. I, it just, it, it, he just babbles on and he kind of just keeps saying like, everybody did what they could to get him out, but he killed, he was killed instantly. It's just like, just stop. Just, yeah. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's what I would do in that situation because I'm socially awkward. So I feel like I would just be saying all the wrong things. But (laughs) you're a police officer. You should be trained. You're trained for this. Exactly. exactly. Uh, So I I don't know what I if if a police officer came and told me that John had died in a car crash and he told me that he died in that way, I would fucking throat punch that police officer. (laughs) (laughs) And they can't arrest me because they'll feel bad for me. So the twins had no idea what was going on because they're four (laughs) and Kathy and Christopher immediately go to their mother's side, one on each side. Kathy becomes upset and yells at the officer that he's lying and her daddy isn't dead. She runs up to the officer and starts hitting him on the chest and the officer gets pissed off and he's like, "Um, can no one take care of this child? It's like, oh, you just told everybody how he like, horrifically died you don't expect her to have like a reaction yeah so you expect this woman who just learned that her husband passed away to control her children who are having the same reaction like it just blows my mind that people are so i mean people grieve in different ways so like when kathy is like my mother didn't shed a tear like she didn't blah 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 I think it's because she was like processing in her own way. Yeah. It was just fucked up that the police officer was like, mm, somebody control this child. It's like, what the fuck are you for real? Asshole? Shit. 
So people eventually leave the party and, you know, what the fuck do you say when you leave that? So they're like, oh, sorry for your loss. And they're like, oh, what a tragedy too. And she just says, what does she say? They, they just said those consoling things people say when there just aren't any right words, the whole our days are numbers. That's the way it is. She's just like, we, she's like, and we just, I mean, he's just dead. The the next time we'll see him, we'll be burying him. He'll be in a coffin. Yeah. Well, and she says that she fully at that time didn't understand the conception of death. Mm -hmm. She's like, death is for old, sick people, not for young, handsome people. Like, with families <laughs> like it's for the old so she she's because she's only i don't know how old is she is at this point oh she's 12 yeah no yeah so she's 12 no wait maybe she's like 11 she's, she's 11 about to be 12 like she said it was like right, right before her 12th birthday so i guess at that age you know unless something happens to you like that you don't really fucking you don't fully understand yeah so Kathy's upset and she runs to the backyard where she stayed for hours and her mother came out later and went to check on her and told her that she had actually gone to the police station and identified the body. But like how much of the body could be left if it was like burned? Yeah. But whatever. Um, so her mother tells her to go inside And that being with people is better for coping with grief. It's not good to be alone. Kathy noticed that her mother's eyes were dry and her tone was bleak. But the longer Kathy stared at her eyes, she could see that she, that they had sunken deeper. So she's like, my mom's not showing anything, but like, that's how she can tell her emotions is through her eyes. And she knows that she's like depressed. In the next few days, her mother becomes very depressed and won't even get dressed or take care of the children. She just I thought that. this was when the mommy dearest thing was going to kick in. I did too. Cause they're talking about how she sat so sad faced that she seemed to have forgotten how to smile. And then Kathy is just like, I'm going to pretend he's still alive and he's on a bridge trip. Mm-hmm. And she's all like, don't do that. <laughs> she's like, you've got to accept that he's fucking dead. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to fucking start. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the way she says it, she's like pretending like that's not healthy. You need to accept the truth. Your father's dead. He's never coming back. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like not even. I mean, I get I I I don't know. I guess I get it. But also I'm kind of like, she's only 12 or, you know, she's still a kid. That's just yeah. so harsh. That's a, such a harsh way to put it. Could have, you know, made a little sound a little nicer. But she's also forcing Christopher and Kathy to grow up a little more now because she's going to depend on them all the time. So she's like, well, you're older. You should understand. And it's like, "Mm, okay, they're (laughs) older, but they're not that old. They're still kids. Yeah. Good Lord. So Kathy asks her mom, are you going to have to work now that he's gone? Like, are you going to, and her mother is like, well, I'll do what I best to see that we all survive. Like, she doesn't say yes or no. She's just like, I'll do my best to see that we make it. And she doesn't um, say she she says survive. She doesn't say that they'll end up kind of like how they used to be. 
she didn't say I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do our best to be a family again or I'll do our best to make us happy she's just like we'll just survive and right. yeah I think that just emphasizes um, her grief that she's just kind of like I don't give a fuck as long as we just survive this fucking ordeal so the next part after that I thought was kind of weird and I can't tell if it's foreshadowing or like something that we're not quite sure what's happening yet but Corinne goes on to tell Kathy that she's lucky to have had her father for 12 years and that he thought she had something very special about her and then Kathy goes it's almost like she's ashamed of saying it but she goes because I look like you and her mother kind of gets upset and throws shit back in the fridge and she tells her like you look like me but you are nothing like me personally you're more aggressive and more determined like your father's mother and he loved his mother maybe she's just ashamed of herself for like what happened for what you know I feel like she still has a little bit of shame for like I feel like her parents kind of beat that shame into her for for how her family ended up well I think knowing too is like she says like towards the ending chapters that she has no like excuse me she doesn't like push herself she doesn't have like that's true drive what's yeah she doesn't have drive she she doesn't have power she doesn't doesn't get hungry she doesn't devour hate that Um, that's why i don't buy (laughs) disney plus she says that she always thought she was gonna have a man to provide for her whether a a husband or a father or, or her father so i guess when she's looking at Kathy, she's seeing that, like, you may look like me, but you have the drive that I don't have. Yeah. You can so be maybe an adult. That does make sense. Yeah. So, uh, Kathy's like, well, doesn't everyone love their mother? And Corinne's like, no. And then she leaves <laughs> it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how you're immediately like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. Okay. So, Corinne goes on to tell Kathy that the dead, that death is not as terrible as you think. Chris will never have to grow old. They won't have to watch him get sick and he'll stay forever young and handsome. Kathy and Chris take the twins outside to play and Kathy kind of foreshadows that backyard and garden would become forgotten words to them in the future. Yeah, that's so sad. So then they go on to talk about the night they found their mother in their father's study, writing letter after letter and could not be bothered. Kathy tells Corinne that the twins are hungry and she becomes aggravated and tells her that the neighbors had brought over a thousand casseroles, just fucking heat something up and leave yeah. her alone, essentially. Yeah. She's just like, in a minute, I like, I'm writing to your grandparents who live in Virginia. Like, excuse me. She, I don't know. I, I don't know. I felt kind of off put that she was just like, at this point is when I thought she was losing more of herself and kind of just, you know, right. being like, I don't care about the family. I'm trying to figure shit out. Like, you deal with it. You deal with our fucking mm-hmm. six, seven-year-old fucking kids and go from there. Or four-year-old. Well, and this kind of shows you back then, like, the housewives who lived their entire lives just being like, oh, well, I don't have to learn anything. I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, like, have a backup plan because my husband will always provide for me. This kind of shows you the repercussions of that. 
And she mentions that a lot that she was like, that's mm-hmm. all that I thought. And like you mentioned earlier, that's all that she thought she was going to do was somebody was always going to provide for her. But like, well, guess what, bitch? <laughs> Not true. Yeah. So a few weeks later, Corinne receives a response and immediately reads it over and breaks down crying. Um, she brings the kids in and Kathy and Christopher can tell something is up. They talk about how their mother looks creepy and that something is wrong with her. Kathy says that a cold chill ran down her spine after seeing her mother's hardened eyes. She tells them that their grandmother finally replied after all of the letters that she had sent and she has allowed them to come and live with her and her father. But she says it in like a way that you can tell she doesn't want to live there. She doesn't want to go. Like, I feel like she was kind of hoping that they would say no. So she would kind of be forced to try to figure out another way. But see, I kind of took it as a way that she was. Well, yeah, okay, I see what you, you mean about that. But when she's telling the kids, it feels like she's kind of hyping herself up. That like, too, yeah. She doesn't know how to sell it to them because she also doesn't want to do it. So she kind of is like, oh, you're going to love it. They have a huge house. They have so much wealth. You've never imagined so much. Like she's hyping it up to herself yeah. more than she is to the children. <clears throat> I think she does that a lot. Like I mentioned later that she she mentions talking to her father a lot. And I think that she's doing that a lot to convince herself that things are going to be okay and that she can do this thing and, you know, to make sure that they end up living a happy life. But yeah, she, like you said, just keeps trying to do it to more so convince herself than to convince the kids because they're kids. Mm -hmm. They can be convinced like really easily for the most part. So she tells them that they're going to be filthy rich and they're going to live in a mansion all she has to do is get in her father's good graces again (laughs) because something happened that she got written out of his will and she is his only heir and so now she needs to get back in his good graces because he's on his deathbed and the minute he dies if he writes her back in the will she'll get all of his wealth um When Kathy and Christopher say they don't want to move, Corinne becomes upset and tells them that she would hope since they are 12 and 14, that they would be old enough to understand that living is money and they, they have none of it. She tells them that her and their father lived beyond their means in hope that they would make money later in life, but he didn't have that opportunity since he died so young and had nothing to leave them. She goes on to tell them that she can't pay the mortgage because she doesn't have any skills to work. She's just a pretty housewife who always thought she would have a man to take care of her for the rest of their life. She tells them that everything in the house besides their clothes and toys don't actually belong to them and they will get repossessed and be homeless. Kathy, who is only fucking 12 years old, tries to keep a brave face but becomes upset thinking that mysterious people will show up and take her things. And there will be another little girl who stays in her peppermint colored room playing with all of her things that daddy gave her. So it's like, yeah, she would have that reaction. She's 12. Yeah. Like what are you, you're telling her that none of the stuff that she has is hers and that somebody's going to come take it all away. All of the nice little gifts that she got from daddy are just going to be gone. That's so fuck. Mm-hmm. And then she's just so like, Chris, <laughs> Don't tell him I had an engagement ring. 
because they're gonna come try to <laughs> steal it yeah i forgot about that i forgot about that <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's like, don't tell them about my engagement diamonds. They don't know about those. Um, Christopher grabs Kathy's hand because he sees that she's upset and she starts to feel guilty for showing her emotions on her face. Like years of being gaslighted, I'm assuming. Yeah. By her parents. So Corinne saw their exchange and told them not to be brokenhearted about this because they will be rich and all of their problems will be solved. Money makes the world go round. Sinfully rich is what she says. See, and then another trope back to fucking religion. Sinfully rich. So Kathy picks up one of the twins who's falling asleep. And she says that the twins are tired and they need dinner soon. Like she wants the conversation to end. Yeah. And her mom to kind of like step into that role. Like take care of your fucking kids exactly like can't you see your fucking babies are hungry and tired (laughs) corinne says that they can eat dinner later because they all need to pack and they're leaving tonight like she tells them here's what i don't understand yeah why do they need to leave that night like if the it's not like the mom knew exactly how many days it was going to take for her to get the letter and then be like as soon as you get this letter you have to come get me like she could have waited till the next day and been like, we'll be able to pack so that way you can figure out what you want to do. But she's making them make these rash decisions of like, I mean, when you were a kid, didn't you have stuff that you were like, I don't want to get rid of this. Like, this means the world to me. And she's making them decide immediately what they want to keep and what they want to just basically never see again for the rest of their life. That's well, and what's awful. fucked is. She's like, we can only bring four suitcases and then I need two. So all four of you need to fit all your shit in two suitcases. Like, bitch, you can buy your fucking clothes somewhere else. Like, if your parents are that rich, go fucking use their money to buy clothes. How about you let your kids have the fucking suitcases? And then she says later, like her mom wouldn't let her show up like ill-groomed and looking like run down. Then you fucking knew she was going to be able to buy you clothes. Why did you need two suitcases full of them? Exactly. Fucked. So Kathy and Christopher are shocked and silent. Corinne goes into a manic episode and essentially starts talking to herself, saying they're going to be wealthy and trying to convince them and maybe herself that this is the right decision. Corinne tells them that there is one small problem with her parents. Apparently, she did something that upset her parents and was written out of her father's will. She has not seen or spoken to them in 15 years, and the kids have never met them. She tells them that her father is dying, and when they move, she's going to get in his good graces and he can write her back in the will. She also says that she had two older brothers, and they both died in accidents. But we don't know what she's only here. Yeah. Okay, but. Did you have the same thought I did that I was like, they both died in accidents. Christopher died in an accident. Does that mean she like fucked her brother? And now technically the brothers died. That's what I thought initially. I no, I no, <laughs> I did, I oh. did not, <laughs> but I mean, that makes sense. But also like the mom was like obsessed with the kids. I mean, I didn't think that initially. But it would have been reconfirmed, I guess, later about the mom being obsessed with the with the sons. Um, right. And I don't think she would have let them back in if if 
she had sex with her brothers. I don't, I just, I think that might be going a step too far. Something I wanted to mention though, was that when she's talking about her mom, uh, Kathy's talking about her mom and, um, when she was just, she just looked really sad and that she was just grieving and she was beautiful and wearing black and that she was lovely. And she just says, she's like, oh, how I loved her then. And then she says just like one sentence. It's just like how we all loved her then. Just right. a nice big foreshadowing of whenever they're going to be like, fuck that bitch. Yeah. So exactly. I think this whole chapter is just full of fucking foreshadowing for what we're going to find out later on in the book. It's just fucking it's rough. <laughs> so the next part is she tells her kids that their real last name is not Dollinganger. It's Foxworth. She explains that Chris the dad picked mm-hmm. the name because it was an old ancestry ancestry name that he thought was funny and picked it out for them to use and at this point i couldn't figure out why i was like why the fuck would he me neither what the fuck matters so kathy is overwhelmed for obvious reasons christopher seems to be the mediator and is maybe trying to take the role as the man of the house at this point or maybe like the voice of reason and tells Corinne that although the house in Virginia sounds nice, all of their friends, their school, everything they know is here, including their house. Corinne goes on to explain that the house is gone and they can have all of their wildest dreams come true with the money that they're going to get and use their imagination on how that would benefit their lives. They go upstairs to start packing to leave that night. Kathy goes to her room and starts to cry because she cannot fit everything that she wants in the suitcase and that she has to share with her siblings. And while she's crying, her mother walks by her room and is like, Kathy, stop crying. You're going to live in a thousand different rooms before you die. And Kathy kind of like ponders on that. (laughs) And that's the end of chapter one. Yeah. Oh, she couldn't take that um, music box that her dad bought her with the ballerina in it yeah. that gave her the ring she said the only thing that she was special to her that she had from her dad was just that ring and that was all that was left and she was like i'm not gonna tell anybody about this ring because they're not gonna take it from me yeah the mysterious them yeah maybe her mom got like letters from like the mortgage people and like the banks and stuff and this she was like running out of time and that's why she oh. was glad the mom wrote her back maybe i think too though when she just like starts crying i think i I think i mentioned this earlier i feel like she just was kind of like this is fucking happening we're fucking going to my parents and we'll just kind of see how it goes yeah so chapter two is the road to riches after they are done packing they head to the train station in the early evening and leave without saying a word to any of their friends or neighbors. They take the train all the way to Virginia. And when they're almost there, the conductor comes in and wakes up Corinne telling her like, Hey, we're almost to the station. But when he talks to her, he calls her Mrs. Patterson. Kathy and Christopher look at each other confused and their mother wakes with tears in her eyes, looking depressed The conductor asks if there's anyone picking them up because it's 3 a.m. and it's completely pitch black outside. Um, She doesn't answer the question at first and just says like, oh, we'll be fine. 
he looks at her four children and insists that someone needs to be there to pick them up or he doesn't feel comfortable letting them off at the station since it's the middle of the country and there are no houses around for miles. He states that it's an hour's ride to Charlottesville, um, which is where I thought they were going. I did too. I was like, why are they stopping where they're going? Because then she says, after they got off, she's like, oh, I left my two suitcases on there for Charlottesville. Like, I'll go pick them up in the morning. It's like, okay, right. why didn't you just fucking ride to Charlottesville then? Why didn't you just get off there and like leave your fucking luggage in a locker? Exactly. So eventually she kind of just says like, oh, yeah, yeah, someone will be there. So they get off at the train station and Corinne picks up the two suitcases of the children's and tells Kathy and Christopher to each grab a twin. She mentions, so after they confront her about leaving her two suitcases in Charlottesville, she's like, oh, well, it would look suspicious if I showed up after all this time in the middle of the night with four children and all my suitcases. So like, which is weird. Yeah. But I guess like she wants to make it look like, oh, I've just come in from the station like the next day. You know what I mean? But I just came in to see you. She's like, she doesn't tell him that she has kids. And on top of that, she just left in the middle of the night. And it doesn't seem like they're like, to me, it just seemed like they weren't expecting her at the house or that they weren't going to be going to the house because they left in the middle of the night. They, she does, she tells them that she basically didn't tell them that they existed. And then they're walking in fucking the like middle of nowhere fields and shit. Like it just, I was like, where the fuck are they going? fucking weird to me well she's definitely trying to play everything very strategically Mm -hmm. and it's like the more she reveals the more like she's already had this fucking premeditated so when christopher asks her why the conductor called her mrs patterson she says she doesn't have time for that right now um kathy says that it's pitch black and although they're in the country corinne tells Christopher that they are in a mountainous area where it snows and gets cold and Christopher starts getting excited. Kathy thinks about how they will live in a big house with their servants when Corinne makes up with their grandfather. She states that this uh that his only child that he once loved so dearly would want to make up with his favorite person before he died. She goes on to explain how charming her mother was. And when she would see her father and her and Corinne get in arguments about money, that all it took was a little like sweet talking and her mother's charm kicked in and they would, he would change his mind and forget about their argument. That bitch obviously stays money slash status hungry. Let (laughs) me tell you. And so this, so (laughs) While she's walking, while they're walking through the woods, she like tells them to wake up the twins and like to make them walk with her. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I don't care. She's like, stand them on their feet, force them to walk, whether they want to or not. And she says that she mumbled something that barely reached um, Kathy's ears. And she says, Lord knows they'd better walk outside while they can. It's like, did this bitch know that they weren't going to be able to fucking go outside and you're still taking them? To your mom's house where you know that they're not going to be able to fucking be children. Well, it, I thought about this later, too, because 
that's the first hint that she drops about the children being locked in the room. Yeah. But then when they get there and the grandmother's like, oh, I'm going to lock the door behind me. She puts on this, which I thought at first was genuine. Like, you can't lock my children in a room. Like they need play. They need space to grow and do this and play. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you knew that the whole time. Why are you trying to act like it's a big charade in front of the children? I also thought that was going to happen. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was genuine too. I until thought, I remember this fucking comment. Like you knew, bitch, you fucking knew. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, and then you know your mom is gonna fucking go be pissed off at you if you fucking say shit to her. It's exactly crazy. So they follow their mother's advice, wake up the twins so they can walk on their own. Yeah. Cut that. Carrie is yelling and says that she doesn't want to walk, and Corey just wails and cries the whole time. Christopher gives Corey's hand to Kathy and runs up to help his mom with the suitcases. They finally arrive to the house and someone was already there with the back door open waiting for them. Kathy explains that the woman says nothing and rushes them into the back staircase up into a room with two double beds and heavy tapestries covering the windows. (laughs) When she shuts the door behind her, she looks at the children and says, just as you said, Corinne, your children are beautiful. Kathy explains that this was not a compliment and could feel the cold sting of the words directed to them. The woman asks, what? I was going to say, at this point, I was just like, that must have been her mom because they couldn't figure out. Mm -hmm. But I was like, why is she fucking hiding them? If that's her mom and she knew she was coming, why are they hiding them in this room? No, I fucking idea. And they say that she fucking... They say that nothing about her was soft or yielding, that her, even her bosom looked like twin hills of concrete. Like this bitch was just fucking hard as fuck. Like there was nothing about her that was nice, comforting, soft. She wasn't going to care for these kids. Right. So the woman then asks, but are they intelligent? Do they have some invisible afflictions that are not apparent to the eyes? At this moment, I took it still as like Chris was her brother and these are like their little incest babies <laughs> and the grandparents wanted nothing to do with them, which is why they were written out of the will. Uh, and then again, I, I said when the older brothers were in an accident, Chris would technically fall under that category because <laughs> he was also in an accident. Corinne gets pissed off and tells her that there's nothing wrong with her children and they are perfect and intelligent and normal children. She also reminds the woman that they are her blood and she would would be best to remember that. Corinne gets the twins dressed in their pajamas and into one of the beds. Kathy presumes that this woman is their grandmother, even though she doesn't look particularly old. Their grandmother yells that Kathy and Christopher cannot share a bed. Corinne's like, it's fine. They're children. Like, calm the fuck down. And if she didn't like that they were going to share a bed, then she should just give the children the whole wing with separate rooms that they could sleep in since there's like 30 to 40 rooms in the fucking house. Mm -hmm. The grandmother says, yeah, that's what we thought about you and your half uncle. And look what happened. Then she says it's impossible to give them the whole wing because the staff would know something was up and they already didn't like her and would look for anything to tell the grandfather to get her in trouble. 
and it would also ruin Corinne's chance in getting in her father's good graces again. So at this point, we learn that Chris is not her brother. He is her half uncle. And I was like, what does that even mean? I didn't half even realize. I still I didn't know. I didn't know. I just put, I'm beginning to suspect that their dad is Corinne's half uncle. <laughs> because good job Sherlock you got there <laughs> because they said earlier that they look more like brother and sister than <laughs> husband and wife and I was like hmm I wonder if that's her half uncle <laughs> she's like she's like yeah that's what we thought about you and your half uncle and you're like I'm starting to give vibes that maybe Chris was her half uncle <laughs> well I was thinking I was like either he's their half uncle or she also fucked her half uncle and then like something happened and she like, that's why they were all pissed off and it had nothing to do with her, with their dad. And I was like, <laughs> it could be either one. <laughs> that's I, hilarious. I'm fucking dumb. <laughs> so Corinne doesn't say anything because she knows like, obviously the grandmother knows how to manipulate Corinne. Like yeah. she's like, you want that money? Don't you like, you're going to do what I fucking said. Corinne puts Corey in one bed and leaves Carrie in the other. And then she says that Christopher will sleep with Corey and Kathy with Carrie. Their grandmother tells Kathy and Christopher that it is their responsibility to make sure that the twins behave and stay quiet. No one can know that people are staying in that room. The only time the staff goes to that wing is to clean on every last Friday of the month. So on that day, the kids will take their belongings and hide in the attic until the staff is done and they can go back to the room where it will remain locked. Corinne tries to reason with her mother saying that they are children and they need room to play and grow and cannot just be confined to one room. Her mother gets pissed off and kind of manipulates her by saying that this is needed to be done if she wanted things to go smoothly with her father and not tip off the staff. Corinne is so obsessed with inheriting the money that she is swayed so easily. Um, I'm torn into thinking she's doing this to ensure her children's future or ensuring her own future as a widow. And on top of that, I'm kind of torn on the grandmother at this point because she's like. it, It seems like obviously the grandfather doesn't know about the kids and that he would be upset that she had these kids and the grandmother obviously brought them in even though even though she's hiding them she's saying like you know give me time I can figure out why the servants can't come in this wing at all basically I'll give them the rooms if I can have some time to figure out why they can't come in here why they won't raise their suspicion because they hate me and they would tell your father anything so that way I can basically be screwed in the end but she's like I can't close this wing and give them the rooms because it would be weird that you just showed up and all of a sudden I can't use this whole wing. So I was kind of like, maybe she's trying to help her. Like it makes a little, it makes a little bit of sense if they've got this whole scheme going on. Cause she didn't seem, she seems strict, but not terrible. See, I can't, I can't tell at this point because Corinne even says like she would get no benefit when her dad like if her father wrote her back in the will like or even if she didn't write her back in the will like she would get no benefit she has her own she comes from her own money Mm -hmm. so like she wouldn't need the father's money 
that's why she's trying to help Corinne get it back into his good graces so she can have the money. But I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, the, the both of them just confuse me because the way that the author's making it seem is that Corinne is this genuine mother who like loves her children and is like putting on, you know, like being like, oh, you can't do this. It's not right. Mm-hmm. And the grandmother's the piece of shit. But like, what if we get to the end and it's really the opposite? I don't know. Well, I don't know, considering what happens in the next couple I mean, chapters. that's fair. I'm not saying the grandma is perfect, but right. like, what but if she, she has better intentions than the mother the does? Mom, yeah, that would be interesting to find out later on if that's the case. So Kathy and Christopher freak out, understandably, and Corinne assures them that it'll only be for a day or two or like a week max. <laughs> She uh-huh. explains that once she speaks with her father and gets good with him, she will introduce all of them and they can all live happily ever after. She also tells them that she will be leaving to go to Charlottesville to retrieve her suitcases and make her appearance tomorrow for her father. She's going to pretend like she just arrived there solo with her shit, which is why she had the train take them to, the, to Charlottesville. She kisses her children goodbye and tells them that she will be back tomorrow. I thought at this point, I was like, that bitch ain't coming back tomorrow. Either something's going to happen or she's like ditching them there. Yeah. Their grandmother shoved Corinne through the door and locked it behind her, leaving the children by themselves. Christopher and Kathy start talking and Christopher is trying to be optimistic, saying that it won't be that bad and only be a short time before everything is right again. They talk about the whole half uncle thing and Christopher says he's sure that that their mother will explain it and everything else later. They say their prayers and pass out with the twins. And that's the end of that chapter. The next chapter is the grandmother's house. I love that they just call her the grandmother. Yeah, the I, I made a note of that. They don't call her our grandmother, my grandmother, whatever. Mm-hmm. They just say the grandmother. And it's not just like the title of the chapter is not to be like, for the reader to say oh this is the grandmother's house like no this is the narrator explaining the The grandmother's house yeah it's not theirs they don't take possession of her right so it's the next morning and kathy and christopher awoke first kathy explains how they're going to have to start fighting over the bathroom since there's only one and the boy's bed is closer Um, While Kathy is waiting for Christopher to get out of the bathroom, the twins kind of wake up and are a little disoriented. They can't remember how they got there and they just want to go home. Something they mentioned is that this bitch, the grandma, fucking put up art that was like demons chasing naked people in underground caverns and like right monsters eating other people and like all this shit like really grotesque art and they're just kind of like i bet she fucking put that up there to like tell us what would happen if we disobeyed her <laughs> Fuck. yeah that's fucked christ what kind of fucking grandma does that shit so the twins want to know if it's still nighttime because the room is so dark <laughs> and kathy doesn't know how to answer that because she knows if she tells them that it's daytime, they, they're going to want to open the curtains and they want to go outside and it's against the rules. Kathy explains to them that they'll have to stay there for the time being and be quiet and wait for their mother. Carrie is vocal and apparently will talk to anything and everything, while Corey is more quiet and mysterious. 
they are perfect twins for each other because Corey will just sit and listen to Carrie. And they're also very protective of each other. She says they have like a, un- which I think is just like a twin thing too. Yeah. They have like an unspoken bond connection. Yeah. Um, their grandmother then appears with a tray of food and she told them, well, she really just stares at Kathy. She doesn't talk to Christopher. She tells them that this food will need to last them all day because she can't spend her time coming back and forth to the wing to bring them food um, just in case the staff sees her. So she gives them their breakfast, lunch, and dinner on one tray. And she's like, make it last all day. Um, she describes their meals to them and tells them that if they behave, she will sometimes bring them cake or cookies, but never candy because they're not allowed to go to the dentist until after their grandfather dies. See, <laughs> which oh, I'm like, well, yeah. What do you think about that? Because part of me is like, so I put from the beginning, we know she's not the nicest person, but looking at it from an adult spec, a, an adult perspective and not fully knowing the situation or the grandfather's demeanor, she doesn't seem terrible. Like she's, She's providing them with food and trying to make it so that way they don't, it's not suspicious that they're there because obviously they're in hiding. And she's like, I might bring you some desserts, but I won't bring you something that could harm you and give you cavities because obviously if you get a cavity, we'd have to take you to the dentist. And then your grandfather would know that you're here instead of being like, I don't give a fuck if your teeth rot out. Like that would just be something that like a shitty person would do. So I'm so torn at this point of like, is she trying to show that she kind of cares? Is she not that bad? Or because there's so much juxtaposition between her demeanor and her her words. And like, yeah. I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah, I I can't tell. That's a good point. I took it as like, don't be a bother because like, well, you can't do anything until after your grandfather dies anyway. So like, yeah. don't bother me. But I can see what you're saying. That's a good point. Like she's saying one thing and doing another. Yeah. Um, Kathy makes note on how unaffected by the grandfather's death the grandmother seems to be. (laughs) And it chills her. She's like, how can someone talk about someone on their deathbed like that? Like, oh, you got to wait till after he dies. Just like so nonchalantly. (laughs) She then the grandmother then tells them that they are to brush their teeth after every meal and to always be presentable. And she hates snotty kids with dirty faces. (laughs) She tells them that they are to be modest with the bathroom and the girls are only allowed to go with the girls and the boys with the boys. She tells them that God sees everything, even when their grandmother is gone. Kathy gets kind of flushed and she's like, what kind of fucking children does she think we are? Like, she's never been questioned. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, but I was like, it's probably from experience, Hanny. Like, <laughs> she knows something. She knows. She knows. She knows. I uh, know she knows. God knows she knows. <laughs> <laughs> so she then pulls out a list of rules from her pocket and gives it to the children. She says that they are to obey and memorize them. She also tells them about the hidden door in the attic where they can go run around and play after 10 p.m. without the risk of the staff hearing them. She tells them again that the last Friday of every month is when the room gets clean and the children are to make make it look like no one is occupying that room 
and to hide in the attic and keep quiet until they're gone. Wouldn't you think it's weird in general that there's this room with like two or three beds or whatever in it and like a bathroom and like they're cleaning it like I I guess they clean it every month but like so they keep the dust off or whatever but I don't know I guess it's not weird if they have like a bajillion rooms and they're all just full of that's what I was gonna say like if they have a bunch of unoccupied bedrooms I'm sure it's it's not weird just them too why do you fucking need all those rooms anyway first of all the first the fucking grandfather can't even fucking move and he's an old piece of shit who can't fucking to think for himself and has to be put in a fucking stretcher to go to church like he's not going up any motherfucking stairs and then the mom is just a fucking bitch who why do you need all those fucking rooms it's uh, wealth baby it's wealth it's uh, a family house hate that So she turns around and leaves the room and locks the door behind her. Kathy and Christopher try to make light of the situation to make the twins kind of laugh. Kathy tells Christopher that his role is now father, which was Christopher make. Yeah. (laughs) Christopher makes a joke that now that he's the man of the house, he will be treated as king and waited on hand and foot by his wife and peasants. (coughs) (laughs) yeah i was like okay this is when they start fucking getting into the hole you know and then (laughs) kathy's just like fuck you i'm not gonna fucking do that shit (laughs) yeah she reiterates and she's like you are my brother and he makes a joke that he is not her brother anymore but her master and her king fuck that what are you tamlin fuck out of here (laughs) kathy and carrie go into the bathroom to wash up And Corey begins to beg to use the bathroom. He's like, please, I won't look. Please, I just got to pee because he just woke up too. And he's a little boy. Um, Kathy tells him that he heard the rules and he'll have to wait. Apparently, Corey has a problem with wetting the bed. So Christopher has him pee in a vase while the girls are in the bathroom and tells tells them that this is why men are superior because they can go wherever they please. Let's get a shoe-wee. It'll be fine. (laughs) So they post up on the little card table that's by the window and Christopher helps Kathy hand out the breakfast, telling her that he was only joking about the whole King thing and telling her that they are in this together and to not take it so seriously. The twins start crying. They only want cold cereal, like at home, not a greasy, hot breakfast, like eggs and bacon. Fuck you. (laughs) Christopher gets stern with them, which they're not used to, and they listen to him and eat their breakfast without another complaint. Christopher starts reading the list and imitating their grandmother, which makes the kids laugh. They start going through all of the rules that the grandmother, their grandmother laid out for them. I feel like I knew what some of the rules were going to be, but then yeah. there, the last few, I was like, what the fuck is happening? I have a so, note on rule number eight. <laughs> on eight? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Uh, no, go ahead. Go start reading the rules. <laughs> I wasn't going to read all the rules. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was uh, just going to say there are 22 rules in total. Yeah. And I had a note about rule 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just put on number eight because she says that if she ever catches the boys and the girls just in the bathroom at the same time, she will quite relentlessly and without mercy peel the skin from your backs. Yeah. So obviously she's going to fucking whip those bitches, but like 
Jesus fuck. I also had a note for 18. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel okay. So I put rule 18 was kind of fucked when she said that neither her nor her husband will ever love them or show them compassion because they are not pure and God would not allow it. So fucked. What the fuck? Yeah. I didn't have a note. I just highlighted it. Like we can't allow ourselves to feel for anything that is not wholesome. They're kids for God's sake. Jesus. So yeah. And then after rule 18, Kathy freaks out and is like, how is mother ever supposed to get in her father's good graces and win his love? If he will never love her children over whatever mistake she made. Shit. Cause at that point they still don't know what's going on. So they're like, we don't understand. Like what the fuck did we do? Christopher Uh. blows off the whole situation saying that their grandmother is obviously insane and to not take it too seriously. He tells the other children that their mother will be back and she will make it right. And they won't have to listen to their Looney Tune grandmother. (laughs) Um, The last bit of rules tells them that although she won't be there to see what they're doing, she always finds out and their punishment would be her peeling the skins from their back. She then goes on to explain that she never wants to hear their father's name in her house. And she will refrain herself from looking at the child who resembles him the most, which is Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> which is why when she comes in to talk to them, she always just looks at Kathy. Yeah. She never but looks Kathy at Christopher. Resembles her mom like the most, which is kind of right. sad that she's like Very looking sad. at her and like telling her what to do and shit. Like she's just reliving the whole uh Corinne's childhood where she can just basically reabuse her. Right. So we go into the next chapter, which is the attic. The kids were already bored of the bedroom. So the next morning, they hide their stuff and go up to the attic through the hidden crawl space. While they're up there, they find tons of old like artifacts and relics that the Foxworthy family had kept there for generations. Oh, I said Foxworthy, like Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) You might be a redneck if you fuck your half uncle and have four kids. <laughs> you might be an uncle fucker if, <laughs> if you're here's your son. <laughs> That's Bill Engvall, idiot. Oh shit. <laughs> I don't fucking know. All white guys are the same. Cut that, cut that. <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> you white, you the same. What is the fucking from uh white uh, is right? God no what the fuck <laughs> um oh role models he's like you white you ben affleck <laughs> oh, what the fuck <laughs> you remember that no Where the Wait, was that charlie calling- no he keeps oh. calling paul rudd ben affleck he's like why do you keep calling me ben affleck not ben affleck he's like because you're white and when you're white you're ben affleck <laughs> i just think about the fucking scene with craig robinson and um <laughs> I think it's uh, Zach and Mira make a porno. Oh yeah, <laughs> like coffee, take a coffee black. Guy, yeah. <laughs> he gets a coffee black, and he goes, <laughs> "What does he say?" <laughs> We're talking white, white. If I could call me off, Craig Roberts is so fucking funny, dude. Okay, oh, so <laughs> getting back. <laughs> getting back to all this shit why do fucking rich people keep all of the old shit like what's it worth to you if you just keep it in the attic your whole life like what's the point 100%. of keeping it well like, is it like a power and, thing 
when they first got there too, the grandmother made note, like she said something that she thought that the staff was stealing from her. Yeah. So I'm sure too, that this is her like neurotic, let me hide everything. So the staff doesn't know where it is because they're trying to steal all of our wealth, but you, don't you know, like some attic? weird <laughs> shit. So, well, no, it's a hidden crawl space. So they don't know how to get up in the attic. Mm, that's true. So there's a lot of old furniture, civil war uniform, uniforms, <laughs> civil war uniforms, chamber pots, chests, dresses, suits, like the whole fucking nine yards. Um, she says that the attic is huge and stretches out for miles until it's out of sight, but they can see where additions have been made onto the house and the attic over the years. Kathy talks about the secrets that could have been stored and everything up there, but she makes a comment that maybe her grandparents kept all of the belongings up there because they were afraid they would be poor and wanted those things as like a backup. Kathy hates all things insects. And she's like, I can just imagine the things crawling around up here. And Christopher pulls out an old suit to see if it had like a zipper or buttons to pee out of. She's like, well, who fucking cares? She has, he has some fascination with pissing. Pee kink, am I right? (laughs) Talk about a golden shower. (laughs) A bunch of moths fly out of the suit and Kathy like freaks the fuck out. She's like, I can't fucking hang up here. The twins are pissed because it's hot up there and it's so dusty. They find, they eventually, they keep going and they find what Kathy assumes are family portraits of the Foxworth family and mentions that absolutely no one is happy in them. Even though some people are smiling, the happiness never reaches their eyes, which is a big thing with her. They find a a portrait of a woman who slightly resembles their mother. And Christopher talks about how that woman really has a full hourglass figure like if you wanted a perfect example of an hourglass figure that's what it would be and that if Kathy was developed like that she would make a fortune in the future <laughs> Kathy is explains <laughs> Kathy explains that a corset is what's making the hourglass figure And that it's a lie to like make it look that way, but it's just used to make women not breathe. Christopher says that you can't fake what you don't have. And he also mentions that this woman is just cute while their mother is beautiful. Okay, motherfucker. (laughs) It would be my honor to be your new stepfather. (laughs) Says that says that to his sister. (laughs) (laughs) It's my dick in a box. (laughs) So they make a lot of references to their bodies in this chapter. It's fucking. It starts with this, and then it gets weirder in a little bit. So (laughs) they're looking around the attic, and Christopher finds an actual room. That looks like it was used as a classroom because it has like five desks set up and is excited that there's like tons of books there because he loves reading and learning because he's going to be a doctor. And Kathy calls Christopher 
my perpetual seeker. I feel like, again, I'm just like picking out all the weird little like things because I'm just waiting for something to happen. Do you think you can find the clip? (laughs) He's the clip commander. (laughs) Like, why the fuck would you send your kids into an attic schoolroom? Like, I was like, is this family just full of fucking incest? Like, uh, like another incest fucking kid needed to go up into the attic to fucking study because grandfather didn't even know about it. Did the brothers fuck each other and have adopted children and then they were fucking hmm. killed in an accident? You know what I mean? Like, well, she talks about how there's names carved on the desks, but the names have years next to them and they're all from the 1800s. So who knows <gasps> if it's been used since then. Oh what God. if she what? was like, what if she was a vampire? What if she was like raped by her uncle or dad or brother? The grandmother had Corinne as a result of that. Mm, that's why she hates her. Yeah. Maybe. I fucking I feel like we always ask these questions and never get answered. I'm hoping that this is different. <laughs> Kathy thinks how depressing it was that they're not the only children to be locked up in that attic and about why they would make children stay up there for school. She mentions that maybe the children back then were actually not prisoners, but had servants like bring them food and heat the room and wait on them. She's like, maybe it's just like a different situation than what we're in. The twins find an old rocking horse that keeps them entertained for like all of two seconds. Kathy and Christopher climb up to look at a top window, eager to see what the estate looks like from up there since they haven't really seen anything. And to, and to also remember like what the outside world looks like. She makes another comment when Christopher climbs up to also look out the window with her that, <laughs> that they brush shoulders and his quivered. That's fucking gross. Why even why even use that as a descriptor if not to fucking romanticize that interaction? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like obviously that's what she's trying to fucking do. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like I don't know if the author intended for those things to stick out because like I have a little pretext of what's going on. Like maybe what like if you didn't have any like context and you're reading it maybe it wouldn't be weird to you. I- I feel like it would be weird if my brother touched my shoulder and I quivered. Like, that's fucking weird. If my brother touched my shoulder, I wouldn't say I quivered. I'd say, like, he touched my shoulder. (laughs) And that was that. There's (laughs) no emotion to him touching my shoulder. That's fucking weird, dude. Hey, dude, that's weird, dude. Why is your shoulder (laughs) quivering? We don't fucking quiver over here, bro. <laughs> it's fucking weird. <laughs> to their dismay, they can only see the black roof and the tops of the trees and mountains in the background. They can't see anything else below. The twins want to look out the window as well. So Kathy and Christopher pick them up. And when they see it, they're like, I want to go outside. Like they start oh. crying. 
So <laughs> the twins are crying and like chanting like outside, outside. We want to go outside. And Christopher, again, trying to be optimistic, tells them to pretend like the attic is outside and they're trying to make it fun. Christopher makes makeshift swings for the twins by hanging ropes in the rafters. While Christopher is climbing up there, Kathy starts freaking out and she's like, he's going to hurt himself and he needs to climb down and he needs to like put my heart at ease is how she like describes it. This is when she wishes that there was an actual adult to like be there and tell him to get the fuck down. Yeah. And she says that he knew she knew he was already brave. He didn't have to put on a show. So quit your shit. Yeah. The twins swing for a bit and then get pissed off saying it's not the same and it's too hot. When they look at when Kathy looks at the time, it's already 2 p.m. and they haven't even eaten lunch and the twins haven't taken any naps or anything. They go back down to the room and they are immediately depressed again by how dark it is. When they look at the twins, they see that they're like filthy from head to toe. And she's like, we could eat right now, but like, I would hate for the grandmother to walk in and see that one of the rules is broken by them being so dirty. So they decide that they're all going to bathe. They all bathe together. I'm assuming in the bathtub. No, it it's, I think, I think it's, she bathes the twins together and then she bathes, but her brother is there just talking to her. I don't think so, because she says when they get out that they're both drying off and they're naked. It wasn't the same thing as using the bathroom together. Oh, so she was just bathing. And he was just sitting there talking to her. I don't know why I thought they were both like drying off together. And that's why she looked at his body. Did I make that up? (laughs) You're making up, (laughs) you sick fuck. I swear wait because he does go in there and like talk to her and then he like does put his arms around her it says that rubs her wet back yeah to like because she like is crying he says he made him move forward to the tub so he could put his arms around me and she he's just like comforting her while she's in the fucking bathtub and she says still when I was out of the tub drying off i started to tell him not to look but he wasn't looking we already knew each other's bodies well having been looking at them naked since i could remember (laughs) and in my opinion mine was the best (laughs) okay so yes so she bathes then not christopher Mm -hmm. i don't know why i thought they bathed together you wanted them to you sick (laughs) (laughs) i'm like making this happen (laughs) you don't remember that scene where they fucked no (laughs) fucking no you're like actually they were just talking in bed i was like oh (laughs) oh i thought he got that bitch pregnant (laughs) okay so yes so yes so they bathe the twins then kathy bathes and christopher is in there talking to her and he's trying to reassure her like everything's gonna be fine (gasps) Everything's going to be fine and it's not going to be a big deal. They're going to get through it, blah, 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 blah. And Kathy is like, it's not weird because like we've been doing this since we were kids and like in our household, like there was no shame. Our parents didn't really say anything about it because it was, you know, innocent. And so Christopher rubs her wet back 
while she's in the bathtub and she gets out and she is saying I thought about telling him not to look at me he doesn't look at me he's preoccupied with something else but yeah the the whole like I remember what his body looks like thing is also weird to me yeah I don't know I mean I took baths with my siblings till I was almost a teenager yeah no uh yeah like I remember specifically taking a bath with my little brother when I was I would assume like in the double digits I feel like he was old enough to because he's six years younger than me I feel like he was old enough to like talk and like make complete sentences ew I feel like that's normal for multi-children homes I I I can't talk I'm an only child so (laughs) I don't know that just sounds weird like I had see okay how do you feel about this I had someone that I know not gonna say any names not gonna say objection (laughs) their her son Uh who is like at the time 10 11 bathed with her all the time like not by himself he's only child Uh bathe with her and at 11 you know you're still young but you're in middle school and you know you we watched it in middle school we shouldn't have fucking watched (laughs) and he starts being like oh yeah you have different parts and this and that do you think that's weird like what's the age limit to stop showering with your child I think I think that's dependent on your relationship I think you should definitely stop before they're a teenager because I think you need to have a conversation with them about why somebody has different parts than Mm -hmm. you do but I don't think that they fully understand the sexual meaning behind things like that so like it goes back to us you know when we were talking about in uh lesser known monsters of 21st century that one um the very first story where she's talking about how like you know we'll never be able to simulate somebody having sex with a child or like anything sexual to do with children but she talks about how like would you think it was sexual if somebody just wanted to be held in the palm of a hand by by a giant child and she said yes but the operator was like she said yes but it would also depend on on what that person wanted like what their thinking was and the operator was just kind of like exactly like it depends on what that person's intentions are so i don't think that the child fully understands that it's like sexual and not okay to like say things like that and they're just kind of like you know why do you have bigger chest area than I do and how come we don't have matching wieners or whatever (laughs) like I don't know I just feel weird that whole thing makes me just feel weird I feel like if I had I it's hard to say you're right it's circumstantial I think it is circumstantial Mm -hmm. it's just hard for me to like empathize if I had (laughs) empathize and then think about if it was my situation like if I had a 10 year old boy and he he in my eyes I see him as like my baby and I've been 
but I don't think I ever would. But if I did like take baths with them, because, you know, (laughs) this is getting (laughs) complex, but I know like when you're a baby baby or like a little toddler, parents take their kids into the bath in the shower. Yeah. And that's not weird, but I don't know why I think when they get a little older, it's weird to me. It's just weird to me. I think our society over sexualizes things like that and so it's kind of like beat into us that it's not okay and it makes us uncomfortable to be in a situation with a naked child (laughs) especially not wrong you know like one that's that young even if it is our own child but you and I do not have kids so we don't have that sort of no experience to know what that's like so you know Again, I feel like now, yeah, because because as we grow older, it's weird for us to see other people's body parts, especially our siblings. And I think, again, that's kind of because society's like, that's fucking not OK to think about or to whatever experience. And like, yeah, I just think everything is over sexualized and that like each parent has their own experience with their kid. I do personally think if your kid's a fucking teenager, they should take a bath by themselves. Cut the cord. Yeah. Let, let, let them figure it out. Tell them why they have a wiener and you don't. But like, <laughs> like, I think at that point, it's it's a it's <laughs> it's just you personally not wanting to fucking give up that they're your child and you want to have yeah. that weird connection with them. yeah yeah connection. it's that's a connection yeah that feels <laughs> like a lot it it sounds like a lot yeah I don't know but yeah I guess it is circumstantial whatever anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh Kathy okay so before she gets out of the bath Kathy tells Christopher like this can never happen again as if like it was like because of the yeah like it was just really bad she makes it sound like it's like we can never do this again oh my god at least that's what i well because she's thinking of her grandmother's rules she's like think of all the rules we've already broken today like if she found out about this like it would be the end of it because that was like her number one thing like you have to be modest girls with girls boys with boys yeah oh that's the other thing that was weird when Christopher is rubbing her wet back and she looks over her shoulder, she calls him dreamy. What? That's a thing. Look at the fuck up. She calls him. She says that he looks dreamy. Oh yeah. He looked dreamy, wistful. See, I, I guess when I read that, I thought I was thinking more of like, he was like in a, a dream state of mind. As opposed to like a um, what you call it, like a but characteristic, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I took it as when she looked over, she could see he was like kind of dreamy looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just because they were talking about how he was like, you know, you're gonna be the world's leading ballerina, and you can do this with cheese and crackers and da da da. Yeah. And just like how he, I, I just perceived it as he was like dreaming this big dream of them with all this money and shit and whatever, whatever. 
That's fair. I don't think if I, if you were talking about your future plans, I would call you dreamy. I'd be like, oh, you're a dreamer or something. Yeah. But I don't think I'd be like, oh, she looked dreamy. I don't know. But That's a she, weird. He, she also says that he looked wistful. So he's, she says he looked dreamy and wistful. So I think those two adjectives together to me kind of made that connection in my head of like, that's the connotation for that. It's a double me. Yeah, that'd be gross. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So they all are bathed. Well, except Christopher. They're all bathed. They're all out. They're dressed. They eat their cold fried chicken and cold green beans. And the twins barely eat. Um, they're pissed that they're back in the room. Kathy was going to follow Christopher back up into the attic to grab more books and whatever else they could find. But Kathy starts throwing a whole ass fit about not wanting to go back up there. And when she complains that she hates it there and she wants her actual mother, not Kathy, Carrie goes up to the door and starts beating on it and tries to open it. When she finds out that it's locked, she starts wailing and Corey joins in. Christopher comes in and yells at them that those are the rules and this is all a big game and to stay quiet and be inside. Kathy thinks the twins need a nap, so she lays them down. She starts reading them Peter Rabbit and they fall asleep in the same bed, which is another rule break. Kathy asks Christopher if he wants to play a game of checkers And he says no, because she's a sore loser and he wants to read his book. Kathy's like, whatever, fine, fuck you. So she picks up a book. She picks up the Knights um, of the Round Table and says that she discovers the world of reading and her newfound love for anything medieval, referencing the connections to fairy tales to ballet because she loves ballet. The twins eventually wake up. Kathy gives them toy cars and trucks to play with and big puzzle pieces that they put all over the ground and while the twins are doing their own thing christopher's like hey did you want to play games because he brought some like 40 and one game board (laughs) or something (laughs) kathy gets pissy for some reason i don't remember the reason and she's like no and goes to lay in bed and like be in her feels and started thinking about shit And she starts thinking about all the bad things that can happen while they're trapped in the room. Like a fire could break out or someone could break a bone or they could get ill. And she's unsure if the grandmother would come and help them at all or if she would let them die since she told them that they shouldn't exist in the first place. Christopher sees that Kathy has a worried look on her face and goes over and tries to lighten the mood with her. Um, When he asks her if she's grumpy because she knows he will win at checkers, she tells him, like, what if there's a fire? Like, what are we going to do? She's like, we should tie all the sheets together and make a ladder down the window like they do in the movies. Christopher is kind of impressed that she's making like a contingency plan Mm -hmm. in case of an emergency and tells her that she has earned his respect and that he likes when she's being grown up. He also tells her just to call him Chris so he doesn't get confused with daddy. Kathy is pleased and they proceed to play checkers. While everyone is vibing, doing their own thing, their mother comes in and Kathy mentions that something's not right. 
She says that she stumbles in and their grandmother is right on her heels as always. Kathy immediately thinks all of the rules that day they have broken and wonder if their grandmother's special connection with God will give them away. And that's the end of that chapter. Um, We go into the next chapter, which is the wrath of God. So their mother comes into the room, her face pale and bloated and eyes rimmed with red. I thought initially she was like drunk because she said that she was like stumbling in. But it's revealed that she has been like crying all day. I thought that like, yeah, she she was like crying all day because obviously the situation with telling her dad that she was back didn't go well. And she was very upset about it. So the children are happy to see her and they immediately went to her and kissed her and hugged her. The twins sit on her lap. And Christopher and Kathy sit on either side of her. Corinne asks the twins to tell her honestly how their day went um, inside. And they hold nothing back. And they're like, we hated it here. It's dusty. It's hot. It sucks. There's no light. It's too dark. Uh, They were over Kathy and Chris telling them what to do. And Corinne kind of laughs. And she's like, Right now with the circumstances that have changed, you're going to have to start respecting Kathy and Chris like parents. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird. She's like, it is weird. They're think of them as your parents. Mitch, you're the mom. Fuck. You fucking discipline them. Yeah, no, exactly. But because, well, and then. Again, I think it's because Kathy and Christopher are expected to do that because like when they first get locked in, she's like, okay, you're the father now and I'm the wife. You know what I mean? They're already taking over those roles. It's weird. So the twins have a whole ass freak out and Carrie starts yelling that she wants her, not Kathy. She wants her real mother and she wants to go home and she wants to go outside. The grandmother gets pissed and yells at Corinne to control her children and not to have Carrie scream. Carrie like looks at her grandmother in defiance and screams so loud that Kathy describes it as her opera finale. (laughs) Carrie jumps down from her mother's lap and goes up to the grandma and starts screaming more (laughs) just to spite her. The grandmother grabs Carrie by the hair to punish her. And before she could do anything, Corey, without a word, without anything, jumps down to protect his twin. Kathy says that he doesn't let out a cry. He doesn't show any emotion. He bit his grandmother's leg so she could release Carrie. When Carrie is let go, she scurries to the corner of the room and starts screaming and crying louder. She again tells Corinne to get her children in order, but Kathy explains that once they're on a roll, no one could stop them except for their daddy who would let them cool off in another room. Here's... But now... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Here's the thing that pisses me off is that Kathy says that when Corey got up to, like, go bite his grandma's ankle, she said, I heard... She heard her mom call his name, but her voice was so choked. It was only a whisper like, bitch, you know what's going to happen. Go get up and get your kid and and protect them from what's happening. Yeah, that's 
fucking mind boggling mm-hmm. to me that she was just like, oh, Corey, no, don't do that. Like, Corey, come bitch. Back. Yeah, what the fuck are you? Hello? You already mm-hmm. know you experienced it. Yeah, you're going to let them go and do it. Okay. Fucker. So, Corey kicks her and scowls at her in defiance. When she scowls back at him, she was hoping that he would evade his gaze and be knocked down a peg, but he didn't. He didn't and knew that she would retaliate. Even though he's so young, he's like, he knew something was going to happen. She slaps him so hard that he recoils. But instead of crying, Corey goes over to where his twin is in the corner and they hold each other cheek to cheek for protection. The grandmother tells Corinne that something that disgusting will never happen in her house again under her rules. She tells Corinne to take off her shirt to show the children what will happen if they defy her. Corinne objects and tells them that the children are not crying anymore and they have obeyed her demand. The grandmother tells her that she should know by now that when she tells her to do something, it's in her best interest to do it. She goes on to explain that even before the drama, she hated her and only her father would protect her because he loved her so much. She does confirm that Corinne married her half uncle and that is when her father stopped protecting her and confirmed the grandmother's thoughts on her being deceitful and a lying bit of trash. She calls her children beautiful, but soft and useless, and were too spoiled to understand discipline. The grandmother again tells Corinne to take off her shirt. Corinne says that if she's cruel to her children, she will take them and she will never see any of them again. And at this point, Kathy's like, yes, let's do that. I'm ready for that. But her mother is like, okay, perfect. Take them tonight and get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> bitch, I don't fucking care. Like, yeah, you really think she's going to fucking care when she says she hated you and has not even seen you for 15 years? That bitch don't give a fuck. Yeah. Corinne realizes that she has no assets and nowhere to go. And she backs down and she takes off her shirt. When she does, they see all of the dried blood and welts from the lashings. The kids freak out and Chris and Kathy are immediately filled with rage. Their grandmother tells them that the grandfather ordered this upon her return. And it was 33 lashings for every year that she had been alive and 15 additional lashings for every year that she was married. The grandmother tells them that this is what will happen if they defy her. Instead of intimidating Kathy and Chris, They are fueled with rage and revenge. And Kathy says that the jokes on her because she will never change her love, the love that she had for her mother and her father, and will ensure that the grandmother feels the same pain when they are old enough to take her down. Kathy doesn't understand why they're still there and why their mother has brought them there in the first place if she knew that this is what it would entail. And that's the end of the chapter. Well, she talks about too. the grandma is just like, we're basically going to give you what you need to survive. We'll give you food and drink and shelter, but we will never give you kindness, sympathy, or love. It's so fucked. So 
fucked up. I read that. I was like, that's fucking terrible. Yeah. And she's like, mom obviously knew what was going to happen. Why the fuck did she bring us here? Why? Yeah, exactly. Why did she fucking take you there? She fucking knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. This last chapter, I only took half notes. It's okay. Cause it's basically the same notes. shit that we already know. It's just confirming what we know. You're not wrong. Okay. So the next chapter is called Mama's Story. Um, after the grandmother leaves, Corinne starts to tell the kids the story of her falling from grace with her parents. She goes in detail about how she grew up in the same house with her parents who are fanatically religious and use their religion to benefit their needs. They use the Old Testament and bend it in ways that will work in their favor, which I feel like is what a lot of people do. Yeah. 100%. She, yeah. She tells them that even though her father is dying, they make sure to go to church every Sunday, even if they have to bring him in a wheelchair or a stretcher. Her father paid for the church to be built and gives 10% of the tithe or 10% of his income for tithe every week. So the church doesn't think twice about him like coming in a stretcher because they get that money baby yeah that's right she tells them that her and her brothers were under such strict rules that they inevitably all sinned in their parents eyes because they wanted to be like normal children um when her brothers died and she became the sole heir her father was already protective of her didn't he tell her, like, I'll give you all of the money right now as long as you promise to, like, never marry and stay with me? Yeah. Well, That's he was well, psycho yeah. shit. He just said basically that, like, if you stay with me till old age, you like, you, you won't have to marry anybody. You can stay with me till I die of old age and I'll give you all of the inheritance. And right. she, like, starts talking about her, her dad's what is it her, her dad's her great her dad's this yeah this 16 year old girl married her grandfather who was 55 gave birth to to a kid and basically she she married her great grandfather no she married her grandfather at 16 had the son which was Christopher and then her grandfather died so she moved back home because they didn't want to take him in and didn't want to give him the estate. Uh, right. Cause he was only three. Right. So he went back home with his, she, his mom, Alicia went back home with her parents. She married some guy from her childhood. He ended up dying young. And then she ended up fucking dying young. So when he, when her father, their father, Christopher was, 17 he moved into her home corinne's home with the grandfather and the grandmother and corinne right and she talks about how how old was she when they when he moved in she was 14 he was 17 and then when they first saw each other they said there was like this spark like the mom their grand the grandmother treated him like he was their own son because their other kids had died the other sons had died 
And so she treated him well. And there was a spark between them when they first saw each other. But then they found out that he she was his half niece. And so she said that they were both disappointed that they were of relation or whatever. And um, they said that he had grown up in poverty. Their father had grown up in poverty. He was staring at all of the art pieces that were um, in the house because her father was a collector. Like he just liked to own things. <laughs> he just liked to collect. Which is why they have all that shit in the attic. Yeah, which is fucking nuts. But yeah, the way that she talks about him, that she just says that he was beautiful. Like he just wasn't just handsome, but he was beautiful. And that when they saw each other, that um, his eyes lit up, found out that their love was basically going to be forbidden. And she's like, I won't go too far into the story of it. But they ended up spending a shitload of time together outside, talking to each other, having telling each other each other's secrets. Da da da. And then they got to the point where they were just like, we're in love and we're gonna get married. And they eloped when they were when she was 18. So he was well, and what? what's fucked too? Well, 18 21. 21. Oh, 21. Yeah. 21. 21 or 20. Either. Um, what's fucked too is like Corinne thinks that they treated him so well because that wealth was technically supposed to be his yeah. and not the father's. And, and they that. even he didn't know that because he was only three at the time. Yeah. Um, but when they even put him through school, like to Yale, like he had a college degree and everything. He had a master's degree for fuck's sake. But because he couldn't use their name in correlation to them getting married and starting their lives. He had to act like he did not have a college education, which is fucked. Yeah. She says, you know, I wouldn't take it back for anything. Those were like the best 15 years of my life. She talks about how she felt trapped in that house with her parents and about how her mother hated her. And especially when her brothers died, she hated her worse, but there has to be something else as to why she hated her. It can't yeah. just be like, you came out of the womb and I hate you. Yeah. She says that she never loved her. Right. Then she talks about how the reason they haven't seen them for 15 years is because so when they told her father that they were getting married, him and the mother absolutely freaked. And they were like, your children are going to be children made from the devil. And they're going to come out with horns and hooves and tails. And they're going to be beasts she's all look at you y'all are beautiful like if god was going to punish me he would have punished me through my children and he didn't he made them mm -hmm. all beautiful and intelligent yeah and it's like mm, i don't know i mean <laughs> half uncle i feel like that's uh, that's, that's her terrible yeah is her dad's brother from another mother but it's so Probably weird not. because they're so far apart in age it's so weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, it's I mean, you're not like marrying your first cousin, which is kind of weird. Right. And people do that all the time. And she talks about that. She's like in other mm -hmm. parts of the country or other places, people marry with like closer within their families and it's fine in their society. But we're having to play by our society's rules. And because of that, we are now in a taboo relationship. 
she goes but you can't help who you fall in love with etc etc like she was primed to fall in love and she's like maybe he was primed to fall in love too and that's why he fell in love with me maybe but something weird that i didn't like is when she's like making the children chant that they're the dreads and dolls and yeah. talk about how perfect they are it's like Kinda that's chill out creepy yeah like you're getting She's into like, the realm of like we're perfect because we're of the same i know they don't think that they're like that because of they're the same bloodline right. like that's still kind of so yeah she does this to be like just remember on your hardest days that you are perfect and we are gonna get through it and she tells them that now her plan of action is after she gets in with her father's good grace. Well, whether she gets in with her father's good graces or not, she is going to be going up to Charlottesville tomorrow again to apply for, well, maybe it's not Charlottesville. She just says the nearest town. Yeah. Uh, to apply to trade school where she's going to learn how to become the best secretary she can. And then once she's learned how to be a secretary, she's going to get a job and buy an apartment for them. And they're going to do their own thing. And Christopher is just taking his mother's words as like, yeah, I immediately thought what Kathy thought. And I was like, she's going to do whole ass trade school while they still have to stay there. They have to wait for her to be done with that and Mm -hmm. then find a job. (laughs) And And that's exactly what Kathy says. Like, she's just like. She was teaching me well, like she was teaching me that I would never become dependent on a man. So that way I couldn't make myself, I couldn't basically survive on my own because that's exactly Exactly. what her mother did. Well, and then even when Kathy calls her out, her mother is gaslighting her again. And she's like, you need to believe in me. You need to trust me like the other children do. And it's like, no, bitch, what what in the past week or months have you done to make me trust you? Nothing. You're pushing your parental responsibilities onto us, thinking that what you're doing is the right thing. But why didn't you, if, if it was such a big deal for you to throw away your pride and take your children to your parents' house where you knew they were going to be abused and locked away, why didn't you go to one of your neighbors who knew that your husband had just passed away, ask them for help, ask them for a job, ask them for a lead, ask them to watch you while she went to trade school? Like what, how is, how is that any different than taking your kids to your fucking shitty parents' home and letting exactly. them be abused? How does that exactly. make sense? <laughs> and then I like how she goes, oh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to buy you all the best toys, the funnest game or fun games. You know, you'll have a new game every day. And Kathy goes, and you have money for this? You have money to buy this? And that's when she tells her, oh, well, your grandparents don't want me looking shabby or leaving their house. So they're going to, they give me money to go buy myself clothes but i i'm not gonna spend it all on clothes i'm gonna save some of it to start getting our lives together it's like bitch you should be saving all of it you already packed two suitcases full of shit no shit. save all of the money they give you and get the fuck out Mm -hmm. but she's not putting her children as a priority she's putting the money as a priority and it's obvious so she leaves and 
they start getting ready for bed, Christopher and Kathy, Kathy starts thinking on her own, right? She's, she's like, we said, we said our prayers, we're in bed. I'm trying to go to sleep, but I'm, my brain is going. And Christopher is like, Kathy, what are you thinking right now? (laughs) He keeps trying to talk to her and she's telling him what she's thinking. And he was like, just keep your bad thoughts out of your head. Remember we're the dreads and dolls. Like we can, we're perfect. We can do anything. Like mama said, another thing I don't, I think it is in this chapter. She talks about how Christopher um, is not obsessed with their mother, but loves his mother the most. Yeah. And about how he says that he was going to marry a girl that resembles their mother. Right. But remember, Kathy looks exactly like their mother at a young age. Oh, gross. So I wonder if that's going to play another factor in that. I hope not. So this happens a couple more times where they're trying to go to bed. Christopher's like, what are you thinking about now? She's like, go to fucking bed. (laughs) And they both pass out with the twins. Oh, before she passes out. The second time he asked her what she's thinking about, she's like, I was thinking about how the grandmother said that if we were good, she would bring us cookies or ice cream or cake. She was like, but notice how she didn't know if we were good or bad today, but still didn't bring anything up with her. So who knows if that's actually going to happen? And Christopher's like, we'll just dream about all the treats you're going to get when we whatever, have our money and do whatever we want. Yeah. He's like, tomorrow's and another day. Da, da, da. Yeah. And that is that. Wow. Wow. It didn't feel like six chapters. Yeah. But I feel like there was a lot of background information for us, if that makes sense. Right. For us to kind of get a good, I feel like there was enough develop, like there was a good amount of development or at least a good amount of information that was already there but that was presented to us to kind of get a better understanding of the situation and of the kids and all that stuff so I think it was I think it's it's gonna be good so what are we reading through next so we are going to be reading through minutes like hours to Christopher's exploration and its repercussions it's <laughs> Hundred percent gonna touch it. Maybe. So, if you have the book, it's gonna be pages one twelve through two oh four. It's kind of lengthy. There are a million uh, different editions. Boo boo. (laughs) Oh, that's true. Well, if you have my book specifically, (laughs) you have this one right here. (laughs) This little baby here. So what was the other one through Christopher's exploration and the repercussions? Yeah. Christopher's explorations and its repercussions. Cool. Okay. So read through that. We'll have that one out next Thursday, May 12th. And until then, uh, follow us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, at Book Friends Pod. 
go to our website because we pay money for that and we need to make some use out of it. (laughs) Join us on the forum. I actually found some questions that I made that I still don't have answers to from rabbits. I'm going to be posting in there because I fucking need answers to these questions. And um, maybe we can start a conversation about flowers in the attic and see what the fuck is going on there. Um, Yeah, join us on all of our social media. You know where it is. Um, Connect with us. You know the vibes. You know the vibes. The girls who quarrel. Quarrel? Quarrel. (laughs) The girls who girl, girl. And the girls who girl, girl. Okay, girls, we will see you all next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Wow. Wow.